welcome to Shop Talks. I'm your host, Kay Hope. Today on Shop Talks 204, we will be discussing mental health in the Black community. Um, we have some wonderful guests on our panel. Um, so I will just have everyone from Delia to Doug to Michelle to Chinwe um, just give a brief introduction of themselves, um, a bit of their background, and why they chose to do what they do, what inspired them. My name is Delia Joseph, and I am, I say, an improvologist. I'm a life coach as well. Uh, and I'm also a certified mediator as well, so a certified life coach, certified mediator. In a nutshell, I'm here to rescue you from self-sabotage and to facilitate your greatness. And uh, I chose this talk because uh, mental health is really, really important in our community. We don't talk about it enough, and sometimes we're afraid to even come forward to say that we have this illness or this issue. So that's who I am. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Doug? Sure. I'll go next. Uh, my name is Doug Amazuri, and uh, I represent uh, U Dynamics Therapeutic Wellness Center, which is... Uh, a wellness center that my wife and I created. And a little bit about me is uh, I, I I'm actually a registered nurse. So uh, I graduated with my nursing degree back in 2012, as well as also I have a previous science degree. And I'm currently working on my master's to become a nurse practitioner. And I've worked in a variety of settings, uh, acute care trauma and vascular surgery um, at Health Science Center. I've worked in youth addictions. Uh, corrections at the Women's Correctional Center, as well as other mental health and addictions. And I've extensive experience working with vulnerable populations. Uh, so what inspires me is um, I come from the nonprofit sector uh, and I grew increasingly frustrated with the lack of funding, as well as the lack of focus on client care. And uh, we're supposed to be there for our clients but I noticed that often uh, money and politics gets in the way. So um, my wife and I just decided to start our own therapeutic wellness center. And it's been a, it's, it's been a wild ride, but uh, we want to be there for our clients every step of the way as they go through their own recovery. And um, mental health is very, very important, especially uh, in, in these times. That's a little bit about me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you, Doug. Thank you. Michelle? Hi there, my name is Michelle Edwards and I'm a specialized educator. I've been teaching for the last 14 years in a behavioral school. Um, so I've dealt heavily with mental health right on the front lines within the classroom. And in the 14 years that I've been teaching, there has been many losses in terms of uh, students taking their own lives, um, losing their own opportunities to have success in their futures. And so my experiences in working with them just allows me to see how much of a lack of resources there really are out there. A consistency in the programming, communication um, is something that I think we could all be working on a lot you know, better than what we currently are. Um, as a youth growing up, I you know, grew up somewhat a little bit different. I, I had uh, very hardworking grandparents that uh, came to Canada from Trinidad, Tobago and um, worked hard to establish a living and make a life for us. And so, you know, I, I come from another side of the spectrum where, you know, I had a little bit more privilege per se than other of my peers, yet 
when I was out there and I've grown, you know, at the age of almost 40, I recognized that there was a lot of gaps in my learning and my education. And even though I had opportunity to learn, none of that learning uh, encompassed who I was as a young girl growing up of a person of color. And so, um, you know, I just, from those days and those experiences that I went through, it just inspired me to want to make a difference in, in youth lives and allow them to, you know, experience that success and get those tools that are necessary for them to achieve and triumph through their adversities. So I'm very grateful and, and thankful to be here and be able to have a voice in such a, such a project here. So thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining us. And Chiwei. Hi, um, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, my name is Chiwei and I'm a registered dietitian and certified personal trainer. I specialize in women's health and nutrition and fitness coaching. Um, I also work in public health um, and in public health as a dietitian, I work a lot with the newcomer population um, in our city. And in regards to what in, inspired me, um, I think in general with what I do is um, many, many years ago when I first started figuring out nutrition and exercise, it was quite challenging. And so I want to be able to provide that support specifically to women um, because my area is with weight training. And um, when I first started out, it was kind of an intimidating experience as a woman being in a weight room or figuring out the gym um, for various reasons. And so I want to help other women um, avoid those barriers and feel really supported because exercise in general is important for all bodies. Uh, but for women's health as well, there's some really great and really important benefits to exercising and then specifically weight training for bone density and our maintaining muscle, things like that. So just trying to um, encourage women and provide safe exercise spaces so that they aren't limited in their abilities to um, move their bodies in that way. And then nutrition I've always enjoyed and exercise and nutrition together. I'm fascinated with how it supports our brain health and supports mental health um, as well. And in, in public health with our newcomer population, it's not simple and straightforward to say eat better or move more. There's lots of barriers um, that prevent people from being able to do things that are in my wheelhouse of exercise and nutrition. Um, to support their mental health. So just being an advocate and providing different alternatives and speaking out to decision makers that can help reduce those barriers. Um, that's kind of what inspires me in, in the work that I do. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into more of that as we get into our conversation. So <laughs> I'll stop myself there. <laughs> well, thank you guys. It's such an honor to have you guys here today. Um, so let's dive right in. Um, first, let's discuss what is mental health to you um, and how does it affect the Black community? Um, whoever wants to go first is fine. Just put your hand up and proceed. Well, um, for me, in terms of uh, mental health, it's a big topic and um, it really is about your state of mind, who, what you think about, how you think, um, it depends on your emotions as well, uh, your social settings. It's really, in a nutshell, about emotional and psychological well-being. Um, words affect you. The weather can affect you as well. Sometimes if it's rainy, sometimes for people it feels like um, they feel depressed. Uh, sometimes if they don't have a, um, enough sun, a lack of sun, they feel depressed. 
Um, sometimes if it's sunny, also for some people, they feel depressed as well. Um, really and truly, it's about what you say to yourself, uh, how you surround yourself with other people as well. Do you have that support? Um, do you have people who um, lift you up or, or pull you down? Um, a lot of clients that I see, uh, when it comes to mental health, it's really about what they think about themselves. What are their self-talk? You know, how do they talk to themselves? Um, it's a range of things. Um, and there's a range of things that you can do to overcome it as well. In the Black community, though, um, I know growing up, I'm, I'm from the 60s era. <laughs> I know I don't look it, but I'm from the 60s era. Um, we didn't talk about mental health at all. Um, that was um, embarrassing to talk about. And so you always held things in. And so even if you had um, issues, you just work through them and then you just keep going, you go next. But there was no one that you could actually sit, sit with and talk to about it because it was embarrassing. That's about it. That's all I can add to it right now. I'll add something else later, but I'm sure your um, audience may have some more things to say. Anyone else wanna go? So I went to the definition <laughs> because mental health is, as Delia said, like so many things. And there is a difference between mental health and mental illness, right? We talk about mental health, there, there's that piece. And then there's um, when the chemistry of our brain changes, so things like clinical depression or um, bipolar disorder, right? So there's a difference between when we talk about mental health and mental illness. Um, so it's a, it's a big conversation, a big topic. So I went to the definition of, of mental health and the definition itself is so big, <laughs> but there's pieces of it that um, I found very interesting. So a state of well-being in which the individual realizes their own abilities, um, can cope with normal stresses of life, can work uh, productively and fruitfully, and able to make a contribution to their community. So to me, even all of that is a lot, but the things that stood out to me was the state of well-being, um, the word cope and being able to cope and um, uh, normal stresses. So I'm not quite sure what normal stresses are because I feel like that would be quite different for each person and probably for each person very different depending on what's going on for them in their life right now. And I think COVID is probably a big example of that um, because not a normal time. So stress is very different. And then I thought um, work and productively was interesting too, because I think people get a lot of value from their ability to work um, or the type of work that they do. And if you know mental health is, is not in a, a good space that affects your ability to work or potentially could, which then can then feed back into that mental health. And then also community. So, and I'm sure we'll get into that in our discussion too, but I think a community is a, a really big part of being supported for mental health um, and maybe how we identify as well, especially we're talking about the black community, right? So I just found that that is a big definition and I think it's hard to really narrow down what we think mental health is, but also just looking at that, we can see it's very personalized. Um, for each of us, and again, depending on kind of what's going on for, for us and where we are in our lives at that time. Yes, I would, I would, I would agree with that. I also did look at the definition as well. 
Um, and it's funny because working where I work, it's we deal with mental health on the daily. Yet again, I go to the definition. Yet when I work and go step into that classroom, uh, I'm seeing it every single day, right? So I think the the main piece that really stands out from what you said is our overall mental well-being and how we're able to cope. And um, I, I might be a little bit biased as an educator, but education to me is the, at the forefront of all of the, these pieces. And it starts when we're at in a very young age. And and the I mean, my contribution into here, and I think we'll get into this a little bit later, is looking at our education system and what it is that we offer. Because like, you know, teaching the middle years classes I'm teaching right now, I think I was mentioning to Kamisha, you know, this was my first time, uh, 14 years of teaching and at the age of 39, looking and, and, and accessing books that talked about Africville. Like, what is that? To me, I, I, I had no idea that even existed. And yet here I am at 39 years of age, standing in front of a class of 12 pupils, and I'm supposed to talk on this topic and try to grasp as much as I can. Yet I felt like I should have known more than what I was actually presenting. And, and so, you know, for me, um, mental, mental health really just means, you know, how strong are we mentally, but how can we be that strong if we don't have the education, we don't have the knowledge, we don't have the tools to build us up to that uh, stage to be able to be, a, you know, capable of carrying out our everyday tasks, uh, you know, those stressors and managing the, those normal stretch stressors that they, you know, per se, that each individual might be going through. Um, so, yeah, that's something that, um, you know, I guess we'll get into a little bit deeper. But for me, it just means like, how, how many tools do you have? Are you equipped with uh, that strength, that ability, that belt to get through the adversities that you face on a daily basis? Wow, that was uh, very insightful, guys. You know, like for myself, um, some of the to touch on um, some of the important points that you guys stated was that education is important. Um, and I'm 42 um, in February, and until I became independent, living on my own, or even coming into motherhood, was when I truly learned what mental health was outside of that it was never taught to me it didn't exist in my world um so i think for me i i was even desensitized to what that was sometimes where you would see other people struggle um with their mental health and it's like well what's wrong with you this stuff didn't exist you got too much time on your hand you know so i think it's really important um to educate ourselves um, because unless we're educated, we're not going to know there's a problem and then we're not going to know there's resources and tools out there to help us combat these things. Um, so how does trauma affect, um, our mental health? Anyone want to read on that? Just to go back to the other piece that you were talking about there, uh, Anisha, I just wanted to comment there. I think what's common and, and especially, you know, prevalent amongst men, and then also then people of color and, and other marginalized, but uh, mental health, I think, you know, there's this stigma here that you're weak if you come out saying that you're not doing well mentally. And, and, you know, just like those societal views of what makes a man a man and a woman a woman, we've set these standards and this bar that we're supposed to step up to. And I think that's what's driven a lot of people to not be able to speak their truth, be authentic in their journeys. And, um, you know, I think, you know, through education, through these conversations, through 
you know, the form of being able to get together with a panel of people and, and have these discussions, that's what's going to help open these doors so that we can have a deeper look at some of these topics and make some segue here. Sorry to uh, divert away from that piece, but, you know, when you're talking about it, it just stood out to me, and that's often what I see in the classroom too, right? Like, uh, you know, when I'm dealing with some of the females, they might be more inclined to share their feelings, whereas the males won't be doing that. When you look at people of color, same thing. How am I supposed to come forward and say, I'm feeling, you know, lesser than or weakened in a certain position, be and I'm feeling it's because of, you know, X, Y, and Z, yet I don't feel even comfortable to bring up some of those topics and feel like they'll be met with, you know, great sincerity. So, Doug, did you want to chime in on that? Uh, you guys exhausted it pretty well. I mean, uh, I went to the definition and pretty much, you know, everyone what everything that what everyone said was was spot on. So I don't really have much to add, but I could move on to the trauma piece if if you'd like. There a question about trauma. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So uh, the way trauma affects our mental health is, you know, when your world has been shaken. You know, you begin to see the world through the lens uh, of your trauma, and therefore it's actually distorted. Mm. So uh, this can affect ourselves, um, the way we view ourselves and others overall. And an example of this is uh, children going through divorce. You know, many times uh, the children will blame themselves, uh, and they grew up with that distorted view of you know relationships and marriage and uh, when it shouldn't be like that. And for those who have been traumatized, you know, by sexual abuse, they could grow up with a lifetime of guilt or shame and uh, never truly heal. And um, trauma can be subjective as well. Um, you know, my experience in dealing with young people and violence, you know, uh, you know, I'll use an example of police officers. You know, they're they're hearing and seeing you know traumatizing events all the time, so uh, they can become desensitized to all of it. You know, witnessing this you know on a daily basis, um, whereas an, an individual uh, might just be traumatized from someone uh, yelling at them, and it, it affects the way we look at things and. Anytime your world is shaken, uh, I think there's some kind of trauma, depending on whether it's, you know, job loss or, uh, you know, divorce, death of a spouse or a family member. That can definitely change the way you, you look at yourself and the way you view the world. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Um, trauma can uh, govern your life as well, right? You can either become guarded or you become loose. Um, if you become guarded, you, you know, keep people away and you um, don't express your way, yourself the way you really want in terms of, you know, there's something wrong with me, right? As uh, Michelle had said before, or someone had said that it makes you feel weak, right? I have a space where I do uh, work with my clients, um, especially men, when we talk about sensitive things, things they, they've never talked to somebody about before, they start to weep and they're, they're about to hold back their tears. And I'm like, no, you can, you can let those tears out because crying is detoxifying, it's releasing. And when you put it that way, they just like, and then for a black woman to say, go ahead and cry, right? They're not used to that. 
So I just let them cry and let them, you know, be themselves, be their authentic self, right? No judgment. I'm, I provide a space where, you know, you're not judged. And they can feel that. You can sense when somebody's judging you, right? And so they feel free to talk about what they need to talk about. Women, we do that naturally most times, um, especially if you're provided a space where you can take up space as well. Um, when you become loose, you then um, just don't care, right? You, 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 um, it doesn't matter if somebody else is feeling a certain way, you just don't care about what that person's uh, feelings are. Um, a neurologist had told me um, something about uh, trauma. I learned something from him where he says, our brains do whatever it, it has to do so that it can continue to survive. And so that affects um, our trauma where we don't even realize that we're in trauma. Like I can think of times where I didn't realize I was in trauma state and I just kept moving, right? Instead of dealing with it, because I was told that you have to be strong, especially as black women, we have to be strong, right? I may have had PTSD and I didn't even know it because I never, I never went to a doctor to say that I'm feeling a certain way or to a friend or to someone that's a nurse or you know someone that I could trust, right? And never was diagnosed with it. And so I just kept going, kept going, kept going because I'm supposed to be strong. So when he shared that, I understood that from what he shared was that we then normalize things, right? When it comes to trauma, it becomes a normalized thing for us. And trauma becomes a way of functioning in our mind's eye and in our brain as well. So you actually have this, you have it um, chemically figured out, a, a way to forget things, a way to block things, and in certain terms of, of uh, memories and stuff like that. So our brain becomes wired to protect us. And so trauma is something that happens to us. And now we have uh, morphed it in a way to survive and to continue to move forward. So that's what I, I have to contribute in terms of trauma. There's one more thing I want to add is uh, vicarious trauma, which often doesn't get talked about. So when I was working with the youth uh, that would come into the youth uh, addiction stabilization unit, oftentimes there would be a lot of trauma as they're engaged in you know self-destructive addictive behaviors, and you realize you're reading their their reports and you're seeing all this trauma that's happening to them. And you have to take a step back yourself and realize that there could be vicarious trauma that you're absorbing just by reading about their story and their lives. And uh, the same thing, this also happens with um, police officers as well. You don't realize that you've gone through this kind of trauma and then you just move forward. And like Dahlia just said, you don't even realize it. And then it just becomes a part of you. It's it can really affect your mental health. And uh, let's just expand on how does that, uh, how does the trauma affect us as a race? That was actually my next, that's where my brain is going. <laughs> um, so I'm not like a trained mental health professional. So I, I don't uh, feel like I can speak on the piece about how trauma um, affects mental health, but clearly those who spoke before me did an amazing job of that. And that, started to make some connections um, for me. So we talked about education kind of at the beginning of this conversation. So now I'm wondering if we're thinking about the black community and trauma, 
where does education fall into that in regards to educating ourselves as a community that you know mental health is a real thing trauma plays into that um we don't have to pretend that we just need to be stronger and you know keep pressing forward like so where does the education piece come into that for caregivers or for you know youth for us to know okay this is a real thing um and then also the piece about trauma being normalized I wonder about that for us as a black community, but also for society, because what I saw happen a lot at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement in the summer, the thing that shocked me the most was non-black people saying, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And that was surprising to me because as black people were like, well, this has been happening. We have been traumatized by this. We have been fighting for a change. We have been, trying our best to cope through all of this. So I feel like that, that normalization of the trauma is not only as Black people and not seeking support and just pressing forward, but also as a society not recognizing that trauma that the Black community faces. Um, and so if you're a Black person, no one else other than you in your mind is saying, hey, that this is going on, that doesn't really leave space for you to say, hey, I need some help, because nobody is recognizing what's going on. So in regards to the Black community, I think maybe the education piece has a role there to play. So I'm curious other people's thoughts on, okay, when we're talking about that education, like where do we start with that and, and how? Oh, I think it starts with, you know, being honest and being able to be open-minded at the fact that, you know, we talk about vicarious trauma. Well, I mean, look at our history. What do we even know? You know, it takes me right back to Africville when I'm trying to express that I'm going through something, um, whether it's the most recent events that are taking place in, in the States and, and what would that have meant for the Black Lives Matters individuals that are fighting for their own lives if they were to, you know, take that stance and would they be alive today and how many more people would have died? And I think what's missing, and you're right, is the fact that we do not have the historical background. We can speak about what we're going through and people cannot understand us because they have no idea that these things have even taken place. I mean, I've got friends that I, you know, interact with and I, and I know they, that they support me and they care about me. And yet things are going on in, in, in Winnipeg itself. And, you know, we're having conversations and they're saying, like you said, like, I, I didn't realize it was that bad or, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to be speak out of line, but isn't what the indigenous people went through. Isn't that more than what maybe black people have gone through? And because we live in Canada and we painted this picture um, of what we see this glorious nation and this country where, you know, maybe we're a little bit more at peace with lesser conflict than what you see in the United States, that people seem to think we're not impacted, that there's no issues here. And yet we don't even understand that there's slavery in our own country. And we have no idea and have no knowledge and understanding of that. So you're right. Like, again, it starts right back at the forefront of what are we putting in these textbooks? What are we telling these students? What are we teaching them? And how are we spelling that into the homes? and helping other, you know, parents and caregivers of a similar color and yet different color understand the history and the trauma and, and the journey and the, you know, just the pain that, that, you know, that, you know, people as a black community have gone through. And until we can get to that stage and start to talk about that and let people's truths come out, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, at the stepping stone of being able to make progress moving forward. And do you feel that we're lacking um, on the educational side because of the white supremacy system that we live under? 
Yeah, you know, I'm, I wouldn't use those exact direct terms, but yes, I think that we have a very flawed and designed system that is, you know, looks at from one lens. And I know that there's educators out there that have an open mind, but where do you start, right? People do want to make change, I think, at times. And then there's others that are stuck in their ways. And I understand that as well. I think there's a, a balance between the two. I mean, I was, I grew up around, you know, a predominantly Caucasian uh, environment where all of my teachers were Caucasian. There was no visible minority teachers, yet I did find support. At the same time, they didn't understand or they didn't have the knowledge. They weren't given the information to better understand me, but they still supported me, you know? And so I, I, I think, yeah, we're battling a system where we've got some that are stuck in their ways, and then we have some that are wanting to make change, but our system is so designed in a way that it's dictatorship where it's, you know, from the top down that the voice of the people that want to make that change, where is it? And how can we get it out there? I mean, that's a struggle that I often feel uh, on, on a daily basis, even when I'm working in my own environments and, and dealing with my own daily journeys. It's where do I even start? Who do I go to that I can speak to that's going to be able to understand what I'm saying and relate and, and connect and then help me find a resource that's going to support me as an educator? Racial trauma can wreak havoc on us in, in terms of Black people, like mentally, because I read somewhere where it causes us to live 20 years less when we, when we're, um, when we are experiencing racial trauma. Um, so that's scary. That's really scary. So with that education, like I kind of see it um, a couple ways too, like the education, yes, in the history of what's happened to the, to the Black community so that everyone has a better understanding of that. But then also too, if we talk about mental health specifically, again, if we bring it back to the black community, we've said many times here that we just think, oh, I need to be stronger. Um, mental health isn't an issue in the black community or whatever, you know, that's um, how that's internalized. So where does the education in that come in? Um, how do we start to have more conversations about the mental health piece specifically for the black community and to make it more of that open, Michelle, you talked about being open-minded. So even for in the Black community, how can we get to a place of being more open-minded um, about mental health and how it affects us specifically and accessing those resources? I think uh, forums like this are especially helpful to you know, educate ourselves as well as I mean, the rest of the community that you know, there is a, a gap and there are people uh, of color who are struggling and that uh, we need more practitioners, be it therapists, counselors, and people of color to you know, step up and start normalizing that this is, there is trauma, historical trauma as well, and that they're there to help out the communities. Yeah, I agree 100%. I was about to say that more forms like this and um, acknowledgement that we do need this and that it's, it's something that, um, uh, that we as a group of people can support each other as well in doing this. Um, it doesn't have to be them against us. It can be us with us supporting each other and not making each other feel um, uh, weak about identifying that I do have mental health issues. Um, taking a day off sometimes helps. Um, getting away from social media. Um, Letting somebody know that, you know, right now, I just, I'm not, I don't have the capacity to do this right now. And being okay about that. 
and having that person saying, yeah, you know what? I can get you next. Instead of making that other person feel bad about speaking up. We tend to do that. We tend to put each other down when we speak up about, you know, how we actually feel. Yes. And how does um, racism affect our mental health? Because I know for myself, like, I struggled a lot this summer with my mental health, with everything that was going on um, with our people on a worldwide scale. Um, And that's what kind of motivated me and was kind of my saving grace and also coming together with other like-minded people to bring awareness. And um, uh, so that kind of kick-started the rally and and everything that transpired after that. and I ended up starting to do like therapy. Um, but it's like, how do we how do we deal with the racism um, when we're trying to address our mental health? Because it seems no matter we, we tend to we tend to run into that everywhere. Like I know for myself, um, I came here when I was 13, um, and I've experienced and it's we even experience racism sometimes within our own home, within our own families, um, light skin, dark skin, and, and, and just that kind of stuff. Oh, nice hair, kinky hair, or, you know, um, and, and I went through the school system, um, being the only black girl in my class. Um, but then when it came to my children, they had a completely different experience when it came to the racism. And I was, I was a little taken back because when I came here, I, I, I was in grade eight. So I could still kind of navigate myself and, and, and based on, off of my own home experience, I could kind of work that out. Um, but when they're coming in at kindergarten and they're having to experience this amongst their peers and not just amongst their peers, but amongst the leaders that are teaching them, like, how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, um, cause even with my daughter coming and saying to me, um, mom, let's just leave it alone because you're going to say something and then she's just going to take it out on me when I come back to school or my grades are going to be affected because I spoke up. So these children are being silenced. So how do we, how do we deal with, um, how do we deal with this issue? I think, I can, oh, sorry, go ahead. I can relate to what you're saying. I came here in the sixties and I was about five and a half. I came from England. I had a British accent, right? So imagine in the 60s, they, the, the community that we were in, they never saw a Black person before. And so I was seen as someone dirty, someone that uh, couldn't speak English, although I did speak better English than they did, um, but they couldn't understand me. <laughs> and so, you know, going to the teacher for help, they didn't know what to do with me. And so kids were taking cues from the teachers because the teachers didn't want to have any to do with me so the kids didn't want to have any anything to do with me so i had no one to play with i had my hair in braids they would take their fingers and run it through my hair and say it was a road they would pull on my hair and didn't have they would call me the n-word didn't know what that was until you know you get called that quite um often you realize it's not a good word um had no one to turn to i couldn't turn to the teachers didn't have any peers my mom and my uh, stepfather, they were busy trying to assimilate themselves in this country, right? Jamaican, uh, British, and then uh, Canada. And then as I grew up, um, 
I started just fighting. I had to fight for myself. Like I, I became a tomboy now, right? And then mm-hmm. if you your name, I'm gonna beat you up. If you said anything bad about me, I'll beat you up. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I did, I became uh, from a little uh, girl who wore lots of little dresses and looked pretty and everything and cute. I became this tomboy that just, you say anything, I'm gonna just hit you, right? So it does play havoc. And then you get into the workforce and you have to be a certain way. You There's this uh, thing called switch, code switch. You mm-hmm. talk a certain way with your friends, but at work, you have to be a different way, right? So I learned that really quickly. And um, so it's, it's it plays a lot on your mind. And I didn't cry. Like I, I thought crying was weak, right? It's now that I'm older, I'm going to be 60, by the way, <laughs> now that I'm older, I am, I'm more um, uh, comfortable with that in terms of speaking my truth, crying, not crying, but always being tr- truthful about who I am and what I want. Now, having kids, um, my oldest, um, uh, he was uh, five, five and a half, comes home. It was now just me and my son, right? Uh, we're, I'm living in an apartment in St. James. He's going to school. He's going to French immersion. Comes home one day and he's going like this. I'm like, what are you doing, T? And he says, I'm dirty. And I'm looking at his skin. It's not dirty. There's no dirt. There's no dirt on your skin. He goes, yes, the kids are saying I'm dirty. It hit me. I almost started crying because now it brought back how I was treated when I first came here. What am I going to do about it? My parents didn't know how to deal with it. So now I'm like the advocate for my kid. I, I, um, I go to work, I call up the school, I let them know what's going on. Did they know what's going on? That my kid's being treated you know, differently. They didn't know, they're gonna address it. Okay, fine. A Couple of days later, he comes home. He's not you know, himself, what's going on? The kids are making fun of him. I call the teacher again and I say, this is what's going on. I thought we were gonna address this. And she's saying, I'm doing my best. And I, and she said, I can only imagine, no, she says, I, I know how you feel. Well, that I lost it because she's a white woman. I'm like, how do you know how I feel? And she mm-hmm. said, well, my kids are biracial. I went, oh, so she knows, right? So, so I thought, okay, how can we address this? So what I do know is that kids learn from their home environment, right? So mm-hmm. what are they hearing from their parents, right? So I just said to her, why don't we just, can you have a day where you know um, each person brings um, uh, food from their own culture? Because food always brings people together, right? We th- she said, oh, that's a great idea. So each person would bring food from their own culture. He brought something from Jamaican culture. Somebody else brought whatever. They got together and they would talk about where the food came from and the people and stuff. And from there, I didn't hear anything else. But it's about addressing it right there and then not to put it off, not to sweep it under the rug. And then having my son also be surrounded with African art and Caribbean art. So in their home, they know who they are. When they step out, they know who they are. They're not gonna assimilate to be something that they're not. So it always starts in the home. So I always gave my sons permission to um, be proud of who they are as black men and also be proud of other families as well. So our family, honestly, is like a universe. Like we have um, indigenous, we have Chinese, we have um, Asian in our family. Like you see every culture there is, white. Um, so they know that 
um, they can assimilate with, they can um, be with other cultures and still be proud of who they are, but they have to see it and live it first. So there is diversity in our family for sure. Yeah, you uh, mentioned, you know, uh, getting on top of those issues right away and being, you know, being able to discuss and, and, and you know, explore those topics. Um, something else that I think comes to mind for me, because I, I would argue at times that people do think, at, you know, that, you know, working in the school system, they'll think, well, we did address it. We had a conversation with them and it was a quick two minute conversation and then on we went and, and, and then we're, we're going to continue to see if things were working itself out or not. Um, what I what I think is missing a lot too is 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 really accountability, right? If you look at our our mandates, if you look at legislation, it will tell you what we're entitled to, uh, you know, as minorities, as people of color, in terms of education and how they're going to support. But really, when you when you break it down, what did that really look like? And you know, is it just that we're saying these words and it's a band aid fix? But really, are we getting into the nitty gritty of of those topics and and making sure that we're supporting the people that are going through what it is that they're going through. And I mean, there's countless experiences, you know, that I've been through where I'm looking at the situation and I'm thinking to myself, well, what did we really do to repair any of this? I mean, we, we pulled in an individual, you got a firm talking to, and off we went. We didn't do anything more than that. We didn't, you know, have any more follow-up. We might've maybe even created more resentment from one individual to the next. Um, you know, I just, I really feel like, as, as educators, and I, and I put that pressure back onto myself as an educator, and I, and I definitely project that onto others when I can have those professional conversations. What are we doing for repair? And what does it look like? And what are we trying to achieve? And I believe it's important to have those things outlined when you're approaching these situations, because we can't be reactive. We need to be proactive. Yeah, Michelle, I think what you just said is so important, because that kind of brings back to the question of, how does racism affect mental health? And if we're talking about black children or youth or community, okay, the repair piece, right? How, how, how is that experience of racism affecting your mental health? If you feel like it was addressed, but, or you're told it was addressed, but you don't feel like it was actually addressed, mm -hmm. that will definitely affect your mental health because you're gonna start to create your own narrative as to what actually happened um, and it's true because your experience is that, okay, I experienced racism, whether it be at my school or my job or a social setting, whatever it happens to be, and I'm being told it was addressed, but I don't feel any better or any different about it. If anything, my experience has now gotten worse. Mm -hmm. So that piece, I think, is just so important. Um, and all of the people that play, you know, whether it's school or work and um, talk about being... Um, proactive and not reactive, I think that's that's probably where it starts. Because if a situation of a, you know comes up, if you're an administrator or an employer, you're likely panicked. Like, okay, what am I going to do now in this situation? I don't know uh, what the right thing to do is where that kind of exposes other problems because that should have been laid out well in advance, you know, policies about what's appropriate, not appropriate, how things are handled. But I think that's definitely something that needs to be explored more because that kind of brings it back to how does that experience of racism affect um, someone's mental health? And I think it's that, um, that acknowledgement piece, that piece of being seen, that piece of, um, Michelle, I can't remember how you said it in the very beginning about calling it like what it is or you know being kind of straightforward with it. 
you know, if you're that person on that receiving end, you don't want people to be dancing around it or pretending that it was, oh, it's a workplace issue. You know, it was just a, a misunderstanding or, you know, trying to paint it as something different when actually you're like, no, that was a, that was racist. I experienced racism at school, at work, at the gym or whatever it was. And that acknowledgement of what it really was will be better play into someone's mental health down the line because then there's that acknowledgement piece of, um, of what really happened, which will allow a proper, um, I guess, path of, you know, reconciliation to happen, uh, rather than pretending it was something different or ignoring it altogether. And that will, of course, you know, lead to a negative experience or maybe poorly play into someone's mental health um, down the line. So I think that's just an important piece to kind of explore more. Thank you for sharing that. So Doug, what is your perspective on the 2020 pandemic on our mental health? The, uh, I mean, the uh, 2020 pandemic, uh, it's, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves that it's, uh, I think for a lot of us, it's given us um, uh, a time to really reflect on our own mortality. I mean, we see uh, the numbers of people that are passing away, and the media constantly is in our face with all the stuff that's going on. And uh, this plays, this affects our mental health, you know, more than we would like to realize. And it also brings us to that point where the things we thought that were secure are no longer secure. And what we thought, you know, was, you know, is not really what it is. And that's, that's very, very tough on, on, on everyone. I mean, uh, I feel for, you know, uh, all the folks in, in the personal care homes and people who have lost loved ones uh, to COVID and it, it affects um, our mental health. And um, some ways it's disrupted our lives or made us affect our mental health is, you know, looking at, you know, the, the job losses in the restaurants and all that stuff. Right, you know, they're closed down. They're not able to, you know, serve their food, do their jobs. Uh, there's this financial uncertainty for um, everybody, you know, as well as in, in the black community as well too. Renters, people who are renting space, you know, uh, businesses. You know, uh, we have our business, and yeah, it, it's definitely been affected by uh, COVID. Right, you know. Um, it's it's brought increased pressure on families. Families are having a much more difficult time. You know, uh, you know, it's the school closures. I know the schools are back open again, but you know, all that stuff. Um, lack of activities for youth. You know, it's really disrupted all of those things, right? You know, just the stress of you know fearing that you can contract the virus. You know, you're overwhelmed, you know, worried about all those things. Um, you know, we're not able to exercise like we were before. The, the, the gyms are closed. Um, you know, kids that are involved in community sports teams. Uh, sports teams is so important. I grew up playing basketball, football. Those things were very, very important to me. And uh, I feel for the youth that are not able to um, engage in those, you know, those those activities, uh, those things are very important. Building team, building you know uh, self esteem for yourself, you know, especially in the in the black community, you need those those outlets, so you know kids don't get into trouble. 
right? There's nothing to do. All those things may make a difference. You know, um, unfortunately, with the pandemic, we're spending more time in front of screens. It's not all bad, but, you know, we're spending a lot of, a lot of time on our phones and in front of the TV, seeing the numbers. Um, you know, with COVID, you know, many people are engaging in more destructive behaviors out of boredom. So whether it's overeating, you know, drugs, alcohol, uh, substance abuse, addictions, and even behavioral addiction, you know, pornography, you know, video games, all of those kinds of things. There's an increase in isolation, which is, which is not good for anybody. People who are isolated, you know, missing friends, you know, all those things. It's horrible. And um, if you're to travel abroad, you know, you know, people would like to travel right now. You would like to go see your family members in, in you know, in other countries. And that's difficult to do right now, right? And, you know, but we also have to look at, you know, the, the positive things. I don't want to leave it on a negative thing. Also look at the positive things too, right? You know, families are able to spend more time together. You know, I mean, the government has also given financial support through CERB and other government funding, you know, for businesses as well, too. And we've even taken advantage of some of those things. Um, you know, we're able to have forums like this, you know, using Zoom or Microsoft Meetings, which is a, a great thing as well, too. And this has also built resilience in, in people. You know, we're able to attend online and do these events online, which is great, you know. Um, it's also caused people to reflect on spiritual matter. So because you're seeing, you know, the life and death of what's going on, it, it it's, you know, it gives you a chance to think about the things, you know, you know, like, well, why am I here? And those, those bigger questions. And it's a very enriching experience. You know, it's also an opportunity to start brand new hobbies and stuff like that. You know, uh, enrich our lives through reading, writing, and kind of, you know, figure out more about yourself. So, you know, it has affected our ourselves in a negative way, but I also want to look, look at the positive as well, too. And what are the typical habits of someone making an effort to take care of themselves mentally? Anyone can take that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes back to, um, is it Bob? Doug. Oh, Doug, yeah. Sorry, Doug. No, no worries. <laughs> Make up names too. Um, it goes back to um, exercise, like you said, like, you know, exercising, um, uh, going within as well, um, and really discovering who you are. Um, one of my friends that I talked to about this, this topic in terms of how has the pandemic affected you? And she goes, you know what? For me, it, I get to focus on me. I get to be selfish. And just focus on me. And if somebody asks me to go somewhere, I can say, you know, I really don't want to. And, that, and that's because there's a, a, a barrier there, or not a barrier, um, a respect there because of the pandemic, right? Whereas before, if you said no, they try to convince you to still come. Like, why don't, why don't you want to come, right? But now it's just no, and it's oh, okay, no problem, you don't have to come. Um, it's really a good way to really think about how you talk to yourself what do you talk to yourself about? Because you're listening, right? It's a good way for you mm -hmm. to um, do an inventory of who you hang out with, right? 
is are the people you hang out are they supporting or are they not supporting right are the thoughts that you're thinking are they empowering or disempowering you really get to tune in with yourself um and the journaling as well uh, yeah journaling big fan of journaling big fan yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I recommend that to all my clients right so, away. Big fan. Yeah, yeah, rather than typing, right? Yeah. Journaling is key. Journaling is like magic. Like you're writing your 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 prescription for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. and then and then you can um um uh, uh, talk to yourself in terms of affirmations. Make up your own affirmations. Get to know yourself, and I think. That is the key in terms of a person making an effort to really get through this, is to go within. Yeah, you, know, like, you remind me, um, you brought into, into mind for me a uh, conversation I had with my late grandfather um, a few years back when I was just in my early 20s and I was going through some struggles. And, um, you know, he, he asked me at one point, you know, Michelle, well, who's your best friend? And I said, well, I don't know. And I started to list off one or two people. And he said, no. And I looked at him. And I said, well, what do you mean? I should know better than you who my best friends are. And he said, no. He said, your, your, your best friend is actually yourself. You know, and we went and got into this conversation. And it was just about how, you know, when you could be okay with yourself and be true and authentic in your journey, you know, are you able to take on any of the other things that are coming your way? And when you can walk alone, then you really are truly blessed. And then you welcome whoever is into your life, but you're able to handle what it is that comes your way because you're comfortable in your skin and you're comfortable to either be alone or be with somebody. It wouldn't really matter. And then I find, you know, when you achieve or when you can get to a state of mind like that, it allows you to navigate making decisions truly for yourself and not because of an outcome that you are expecting to have, right? And, and so I do, I, I agree with you completely, being able to be mindful. And I think reflection comes into mind when you guys are talking and being able to carry on through your day and then reflect on how that day went and allows you to, okay, you know, this went well, and maybe I would have done that a little bit differently and just kind of be, you know, um, instead of looking at our phones and in this zombie state of mind, which we seem to kind of get into, it's one where you're navigating your life with more awareness and you're attuned to the things and the nature and the pieces that are around you. I think once we can experience some of those things, it allows us to have that real true growth, that internal growth that we all, you know, desire. I think um, taking care of your physical health, very important. Uh, someone mentioned exercising, you know, getting enough sleep, um, your nutrition, what are you, you know, are you eating healthy? Are you trying to eat healthy? Uh, Hygiene, you know, I, I need to fade really, really bad, and I haven't been able to get to a to a barber since this whole thing started. And you know, that all that stuff plays a role in in you know taking care of your, uh, yourself uh, mentally, uh, your social health. So you know, getting together with friends, you know, you you can do it safely, you know, outside, right? You know, going for walks. Um, out in Birds Hill Park, that's something that uh, I enjoy doing. And, you know, speaking to people in the park, even that you're walking by. And, you know, there's this, you know, 93-year-old man, Nick, who brings his, you know, Cocker Spaniel. He doesn't do the whole trail, but we see him and we're just, and just impressed that he's just continuing to 
move forward, you know, you know, no matter what, even if it's a pandemic, you know, those things are always great to get out in, into nature and just have meaningful conversations with people over Zoom or while walking, you know, and trying to create a positive mindset, you know, uh, having an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness, you know, you know, count your many blessings that you have, you know, and avoid negative feelings and emotions, you know, the anger, the guilt, bitterness, all those things, you know, accept yourself as you are. And I love that everyone said that, you know, time for me, that's, that's wonderful, you know, build your self-esteem through that process, you know, uh, and keep growing, you know, there's always, there's always things we can do to keep growing ourselves, our, our inner power, very important, and uh, spiritual health, it's often neglected. I do talk to my clients about this, that it needs to be explored. And some of them are not ready to explore, but those that are, you know, you know, you, you want to ask themselves what they believe, what do they believe? And, you know, some of the philosophies I try to talk to them is, you know, understanding that, you know, nothing lasts forever, right? You know, things change, things are constantly changing all the time. You know, whoever thought we'd be living since a pandemic, right? None of us would have thought that. Right. So that's something to think of. And life involves suffering. Right. We're all going to go through very, very difficult times. You know, I, I, had a, I had a younger brother, you know, at the age of 31 who passed away of cancer. Right. You know, and that was very difficult for myself and, and my family. Right. So there is going to be those, those, those tough times. And also knowing that you truly cannot possess anything. We were here for a while. You know, we have all this stuff and then it, it'll get passed on to someone else and helping, uh, helping knowing and uh, understanding all those things will help you take care of your mental health. Yeah. What would you I say? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to like expand a bit because everything everyone has said is so great, especially when we're talking about those habits um, that people are or those typical habits. And I just want to expand on the exercise and the nutrition and the sleep piece. And one of the, I like how Doug is saying, trying to look at the positives that have happened with the pandemic. So one of the positives in that bit that I see is a, a chance to simplify. Um, I feel like before COVID, if you weren't a CrossFitter, you weren't exercising enough. If you weren't following a super strict way of eating if you weren't doing keto if you weren't doing paleo then you weren't doing anything um so i think the pandemic has allowed simplification um in regards to how we exercise gyms are closed which yes is a struggle but we can still go outside and walk and what's the benefit of that you're in nature you're probably more aware of what's going on you're listening to the birds you're feeling all of those different sensations are in nature therapy, which is actually a thing. It's nature therapy that actually supports mental health. So there's trade-offs that have happened here. And with nutrition, I really encourage people to look at um, their relationship with food and a way of connecting with people through food. So um, yeah, we can build our nutrition, you know, and add in all those really great things too. But when we're talking about mental health, we connect through food, we connect through sharing recipes or those nostalgic, you know, things that maybe our parents or grandparents made for us. And there's opportunity to read, we have more time. So maybe you have more time to get into the kitchen and revisit those types of foods and cooking. So um, it can, it can look different. And I think the pandemic has shown that I hope that people kind of carry that into beyond and not leave it behind because there's lots of value there of how we 
exercise, how we eat and how we form relationships around those things as well um, that can really, they really do support mental health in a lot of different ways. What's interesting about this pandemic, I just realized is that it has shown us as a, as a country, as a society that we are all the same. Our skin color may be different, but we are all the same and we are all impacted by the same thing, which makes us not so much different in the very end. Yes. And what would you say? Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I just said that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, And what would you say is a common denominator that you've noticed amongst the people who struggle with their mental health? And how does culture, tradition, and lifestyle play a role in their mental health? Um, If you guys want to give some negative and positive to those. Um, common denominator for people who struggle with mental health, I would say is a lack of support. Um, and maybe what we talked about very early on is, um, the acknowledgement that mental health is a thing, but it's not, you know, just you, that you're not strong enough. So kind of those two hand in hand, um, because if, if it's not acknowledged and there's no support, there's not really anywhere to go from there. The struggle continues. Um, so potentially, um, a history of what is thought, what mental health is thought of, maybe in the family or in the community, that perception that might be a common denominator among people who struggle with mental health, because then again, that just blocks that acknowledgement and um, the ability to utilize supports that may be available. Um, oh, uh, I can go ahead. Um, I would say uh, belief about themselves and their mindset, I think, is the uh, common denominator um, of people who are struggling with mental health. Uh, fear is what holds everybody back. And um, we often, and I often talk to my clients about this, is um, we need to be able to use fear uh, as our compass. So uh, you should ask yourself every day, what are, you, what are you afraid of? And we need to, you know, try and confront those fears. So if it's for someone who's stopping their, uh, their addiction, you know, they're going to be fearful because they're used to that lifestyle of, you know, their addictive behavior, whether it's substance or behavioral and, or for some, it's just getting on the treadmill, you know, starting exercise, you know, you know, it's going to hurt after I work out, you know, it's uncomfortable in the process, but those are the things that are, you know, uh, I noticed amongst those who are struggling with their mental health. Um, also, uh, we need to not live in a life of fear. So if there's that job you want to apply for, go ahead and apply for it. Or if there's something that you want to go ahead and do, go ahead, go ahead and do it. It's not going to be easy, but you're, you're going to be a lot, you're going to confront your fear and you'll be, you'll be a different person um, at the end of it. And, you know, even for me, uh, I left a, a job uh, in a nurse supervising role uh, to do, uh, you know, this practice. You know, it's, I mean, there's fear, right? You know, but that's, my wife and I asked ourselves that question, you know, which one, which one's more, which one makes you more afraid? And, you know, do it afraid. Uh, you know, those are the things. And um, I know people don't like to hear, you know, it's taking the path of most resistance. Uh, you should try and take it because you will learn the most about yourself. And when you're put in those positions, you will, 
you'll you'll thrive and you'll learn a lot about yourself knowing that you can do more than you thought you originally could. So those are things that I feel, you know, are important in those who are struggling with mental health. Some some people put up um, blocks in terms of receiving help for those who are struggling with mental health as well. And some people wear it as a blanket. You know, they hold on to that. And um, uh, there's this thing called secondary gain. So where, uh, for example, a woman was um, getting treatment for eyesight and um, uh, eyesight was getting better. And um, as it was getting better, um, all of a sudden it was getting worse. And one of her friends said, well, your eyes were getting better. How come it's, it's getting worse now? You're, you seem to you know, have blurry vision. She goes, I know. I, it was really getting really you know, well. I was really happy about that. And I was, was getting so much better that I could go back to work. So then her friend asked her, well, how do you feel about going back to work? And she said, I was happy to go back to work, knowing that my eyesight was getting better. But then my, work, my um, worker's comp check is going to stop. And I really like getting that. Right. So mentally, she was holding on to the fact that there was a benefit of having her, her blurry eyesight because she was getting that check. Right. So it can wear on you mentally right? because once you let go of it, then who am I? Right. Without that, it's just like a victim, you know, when you go through certain things and um, you're about to resolve the situation. But it's like, wait a minute. But then who am I without this victim mentality? Right. Same with mental health. Who am I without being um, treated a you know a special way to get special gains without that help that mental health issue? So hard to not get stuck in a cycle. I think um, is how I see it. And I know for myself, I I've done a lot of work where I allow myself to feel authentically, you know, the experiences that I'm feeling. But at some point. I have to have that mental toughness that I speak to myself about and say, like, you got to get off of this, off of this cycle, this hamster wheel, per se. And um, I think that's what a lot of people are lacking, because, uh, you know, they get into that rut, and then that rut continues, and it just is perpetuated, and it continues, and that cycle goes and goes and goes, and it's having that, those supports around you, right? And, you know, I talk about being strong within yourself, but at the same token, um, you also need to build, you know, a support system around you that is going to recognize that, okay, we need to help Michelle kind of get out of the house and, and get a little bit more motivated. So, you know, it is important, like I, you know, had said to, you know, be true to oneself and, and, and build that inner, uh, that inner person that you can, you can trust and rely on, but also be able to network. And I think for me, that's parts of what's missed in my life, you know, having a community of black people that I could, turn to and and have conversation and talk to about I I really grew up not really having any black friends at all and the one select views that I did have they ended up moving away so predominantly for me majority of my friends were Caucasian um, a couple Asian few East Indian so there was some diversity there but yet at the same token you know nowhere that I could go and turn to and relate to and talk about my hair or you know, talk about the fact, oh, how come your skin's so ashy or whatever else, instead of be, being pointed out by other people who weren't really, you know, invisibly like myself, so. Mm -hmm. And what are some 
um, of the free or affordable resources available um, and easily accessible um, for our people in the community. If you guys can share some of those, that would be great. I think there's a, a place called Clinic um, yes. that, that people can access as well. Um, there's a, a platform that I spoke on called Project Heal. It's for oh. Black. Yes, yes. So there's that's another place. And then I have some links that I can share as well with everyone. Um, it's from uh, Black Doc, Black Doctor dot um, org, and one of the links that I'll share is uh, Black Men in Depression: The Top Eight Signs. Um, there's another one called Ways to Calm Yourself Down. I can share that link and Ten Top Tips for Good Mental Health. And this is all around Black people, so I can share those links. That's great. Thank you. There's a few more too, um, which I can share as well. I know the West Broadway Community Organization. Um, they have a number of different uh, links there that are free or low cost options. Uh, Women's Health Clinic has options as well. And then within the WRHA uh, employee services, there I believe is free um, uh, counseling and therapy offered if that's an option for people. And then also too, like we've talked a lot about different things people can do. I would even just encourage people to move, get outside and be walking, um, accessing free videos through YouTube. Like there's lots of different guided meditation, um, yoga, um, mindfulness uh, practices. If, um, you know, with COVID getting out might be more difficult, but accessing those online options that you can do in your own your own home as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've uh, suggested that people go onto YouTube as well. And there's one with um, three women. It's a mother and a daughter and um, I think a cousin. It's uh, African dance workout. It's amazing. So you guys should check that out. <laughs> okay. Well, if you guys can um, send me um, all of those wonderful resources, that would be great. Because um, I wasn't even aware of, and, and also just put them in the description, yes, in the description. Um, so with this being our last question, I would like you guys to uh, share your last thoughts, um, anything that you want to share with the community. Um, this will be aired February 1st, um, but also um, share as we discuss the issues surrounding mental health, share um, a vision or something you would like to see implemented within the community that you see yourself being a part of, um, where we can, where I can work on uh, maybe finding the resources or the funding to help support you guys in something that you're passionate for to help add more to the community, whether it be with the youths or it be with the men, or it be with the, the women or, or families, whatever it may be, wherever you feel you're being called to, what would that look like for you? I, I think for me, um, uh, because I had three men, three uh, sons that I grew, grew up, uh, raised, that's what I want to say, raised. I think there should be more resources for black men 
to be able to um, talk about their issues and talk about things that they normally couldn't talk about, say work or um, with, uh, you know, uh, things that are happening either at work or at home or with their friends, but a place where they can really discuss that. Right now, I have um, uh, a group of friends, uh, we're all professional women, either lawyers, um, myself as a mediator, another director, and someone that uh, owns their own company. We call ourselves, wow, women of Wakanda. And so we get together and we just talk about, you know, how we walk in the world, in the, in the work world, in the relationship world. And we just talk about things that we don't have to over explain. If we feel it was racism, we don't have to say, well, do you really think that was, you know, what they meant? No, it was what they meant. They said what they said, and this is how I felt. So be able to be real. So having a community where um, black men can talk, because um, women, we, we have a lot of resources, and also um, the youth. The youth need to see elders um, demonstrate that vulnerability is okay. Talking and communicating is okay, but they need to see the elders um, demonstrate that so they, they will emulate that as well. Because as you know, youth, they think they know everything. <laughs> so we can teach them something, but we have to have um, elders that will put themselves out there and demonstrate that and um, yeah, be judgment-free, have a, a space where they can actually just come and be themselves. Yeah, it's it's about um, open forums like this where uh, there's no judgment. We can talk freely. Uh, those things, especially for for black men, there's not a lot of that. But also, we need a lot more practitioners. You know, um, because those are the kind of role models that they're looking for, and those people that are not afraid to uh, talk about you know mental health. It's something that is you know it's a stigma. People don't want to talk about it especially in uh, Black men in the Black community. It's not something that we, we talk about. And we all struggle. We all got things that we're going through and are dealing with. And just having more of those open forums, support groups uh, for men, um, those kind of things, I think, will go a long way in normalizing all of this that You know, we can, you know, talk to each other without judging. It's not a competition. Right, we're we're here just to you know you know uplift one another, uplift the community, you know, helping them find you know who they're meant to be, right, you know, and how then then they can then give back to their families and and the community as a whole. Yeah, I would agree. I also think um, you know children are are we were taught in, in the education program they they come to us as blank slates, and and so you know when I look at the education system and and the programming, and even what I went through um, as a young child growing up, we need more diversity within the school system. Uh, you know, this is where the kids start off. It's where they spend the majority of their time growing up. And, you know, not having that exposure and potentially having some safe spaces um, and programs where they can attend and be free to speak their truth. Um, mm -hmm. Those are things I think that are lacking. And I would love to see a push in that direction, um, a push for greater accountability, a push for school systems to not sit back, but start implementing, start having conversations, start tapping into, you know, the individuals, the, the powerful people within our communities and, and get some feedback as to what we can do to make change 
because these kids are coming here. And, you know, I spent a, a few years coaching basketball and lately I've been privileged enough to experience a few uh, young ladies from Eritrea and just being able to hear their experiences and, and, and know very different from my own. And yet still they're feeling the same loss that I was feeling uh, growing up and, and, and not knowing who they can turn to and feeling that they have educators that understand them and their purpose and their journey and their cultures. And so I, you know, I, I think that uh, we need to put a call out there for some action. There needs to be some change. We have to start looking at it. Our population in the school, just as diverse, it needs to be just as diverse as our population is as a whole out in the community. Yes. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I would say just in, um, in my wheelhouse, you know, providing more exercise and nutrition spaces specifically for the black community, um, you know, connecting that to mental health as an opportunity to move, to exercise, to support mental health, um, to connect through nutrition and food. Um, that kind of started in the summer with uh, BIPOC community workouts. And I'd like to continue uh, with that specifically for the black community and that opportunity to connect as well. And we've all, I think at one point here said it about being able to speak freely and not have to, you know, have a pretext or explain or to filter your words because you're in a company of people who just get it. And I think that is really a big piece of supporting uh, mental health. So um, in you know, being able to provide those spaces as well and just encouraging the black community to um, you know, put the social media aside, put the expectation aside. I always tell people like, no one knows what you're doing in your bubble. You don't have to declare to the world that you're going to therapy. You don't have to declare to the world that you, know, you feel sad. You don't have to declare to the world that you're now doing these habits that we've talked about. Do it for you and for yourself. It's not about what anyone else is seeing or knows, just doing something for you to make yourself feel better. So kind of putting that stigma or expectation aside and really just focusing on what is going to help you feel better and support your mental health now and down the line. Mm -hmm. Anyone else want to add anything to that or anyone's good? No, this was a really, like just being here was enriching for my soul. It, this was like food for my soul. So can you imagine if somebody else got this experience? You guys were brilliant. I love every one of you. I don't even know you, but it's so good. <laughs> well, I think this was a really good group, and I'm so honored to um, to have you guys on. And hopefully we can have more conversations like this and maybe even bring in some more professionals and other people within the community to, to get their feedback and things that we can do to help support them. It has been such an honor um, and a joy to, 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 to do this with you guys. And I look forward to working with you in the future. Uh, I am your host, Kay Hope. Remember, less stress and be blessed until next time. Anybody want to drop their social media link anywhere where they can be um, contacted? If once people see you, they want to reach out, um, that would be great. Uh, sure. Um, we're at uh, Letter U. So our company is U Dynamics Therapeutic Wellness Center. The our website is uh, U. So Letter U Dynamics, all one word. dot ca, and we have. Um, all different types of practitioners from different backgrounds that are ready to see help out the, the, the community with their mental health needs. Mine is uh, uh, my website is joinimproveology.com. It's 
improve. So I M P R O V E O L O G Y dot com. Or you can find me on uh, Facebook under Delia Joseph. You can DM me or PM me or whatever they say these days. <laughs> uh, for me, I'd say the easiest is through Instagram. So my handle is at um, Miss, M-I-S-S underscore Chi, C-H-I underscore fitness. Um, and send me a DM. <laughs> And you can find me under Edwards Michelle on Facebook or email me directly at edwards underscore 914 at hotmail.com. And I will always be willing and open to helping, assisting, speaking, doing whatever it is that we can do to make change in this world today. Thank you. And again, I'm your host, Kamisha Hope. Um, you can Connect with us uh, for future um, conversations on Shop Talks 204. Thank you so much. It's been an honor, guys. Mm -hmm.